it turns out that the DC area is a wonderful place that if you learn to be observant and you're curious, there is always something there to discover. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. The poet Mary Oliver wrote, Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. I think that's pretty good advice, not least because it isn't possible to follow her simple lead without a good dose of curiosity, but also because she places such value on sharing our discoveries. And her instructions are applicable anywhere. I took her message to heart in October when, every day for the entire month, I looked at leaves, really looked at all the different kinds of leaves around me, took some pictures, and posted them each day on my website, hashtag daily leaf. It proved to be a lovely, meditative, illuminating exercise of curiosity and a really nice reprieve from the headlines. I enjoyed paying attention to leaves of all sorts, being delighted with the subtle differences that I began to notice, curious about the names and nature of those different shapes and sizes and textures and colors, and I especially like telling other people about what I was finding. You can check out all my pictures and reflections on my website or follow the link on my Facebook page, Choose to be Curious. My delight, my finds, would have come as no surprise to today's guest. Alonzo Abogados is a well-known local naturalist, environmental educator, and storyteller in the Washington, D.C. area. He's made a career out of paying attention, being astonished, and telling about the wonders all around us. Alonzo is a natural resource manager for the Arlington County Department of Parks and Recreation. But I asked him to join me today because he's also creator of Capital Naturalist, where he shares his insights about the natural world around our nation's capital and encourages the rest of us to do the same. He's got a blog, a Facebook group with more than 4,000 very active members, and a YouTube channel. And I'm pretty sure that my when my kids were in preschool, they might have hung out with him at the summer camp searching for bugs. So welcome, Alonzo. I am very happy to be here. Well, thank you. So tell me, what got you started and interested in the environment and the natural world? Well, I think there's nothing more natural than being curious. Ah. And, uh, of, of course, what is the first thing that we are curious about is our surroundings. And I was lucky enough, I think, that my parents, my father in particular, would have me outside a lot. And um, like most like most curious kids, I was always asking questions and wanting to find out what was out there. And that natural curiosity for the natural world never left me. Uh-huh. And it became... Uh, something I always wanted to know, not just what was something, but why was it doing it? How did it connect everything else? And I realized that once you start down that trail where you find something and you see how it's connected to everything else, you end up finding out a lot more about what's out there. And um, that curiosity leads to uh, a lot more, more discoveries. And so this lifelong learning became my lifelong career. And now I'm a naturalist and I try to take be the steward for natural resources, and I do the best I can and trying to instill that in others because what's more natural than liking the natural world? 
Very nice. Well, and and kudos to you for also instilling uh, in young children early on an appreciation for the parts of the natural world that some of us as adults don't necessarily appreciate. I am. Ah, to be the the curious (laughs) mind of a child. They notice things that we never do. And so uh, taking a walk with the child not only can be a wonderful discovery uh, moment for the children, but I'm always amazed from where their unique perspectives and innocence, what wonderful things they help us to discover about ourselves, our children, and the natural world. Yeah. Yeah. So what inspired establishing Capital Naturalist? (laughs) Well, that's a little bit uh, of a stranger story because for for two decades, I was an environmental educator and that was what I did. As a naturalist, I would teach classes about natural history, try to tell people what they could what they could do to help the nature to learn what's around them what's in their own backyard and as I slowly rose through the ranks as it were I ended up getting this I guess they called it a promotion they get the headquarters and be the natural resources manager and as beautiful as that is unfortunately it had the side effect of pulling me further and further away from uh, the daily encounters that I had in the natural world from being uh, the acting director of a nature center I became Instead, uh, looking through my windows at snow plows and work equipment at a uh, parking lot. That doesn't sound like nearly as much fun. It wasn't. <laughs> and I needed a way to reconnect. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that um, I'd force myself to do several things, one of which was eat lunch always, if, if I possibly could, in one of our parks that I knew it was out there, and also keep that connection. But, uh, but then also start recording it and trying to spread the word about it. And thus was born first the Facebook group and then all the other things behind it. Um, then I would find something and post about it. And it turned out that other people were very curious. And then they would post things and say, I'm curious about this. Uh-huh. What is this? And then uh, it never stops there. And that's what I love about it. And I was blessed that so many people seemed to have this great interest that it grew in, in leaps and bounds. And many of the natural resources experts and natural historians in the area um, have contributed greatly uh, to provide learning for myself, to provide learning for the general public, and provide an avenue for me to get connected back out there, if somewhat through the internet. <laughs> so I have been very impressed with the the energy, enthusiasm, depth of knowledge, but also the um, the very explicit kind of shared joyful curiosity, if you will, in the Facebook page. So it sounds like you sort of got this thing going and then it's, it's snowballed. Is yeah, that really the it case? It really did. So somebody tells somebody else, hey, you should check this out. I think you really like it. You like nature. And um, they, uh, it's so many people that come in there. And when it comes onto the Facebook group in particular, it says um, recommended by or friend of. And it turns out it's like, wow. Um, all of these different people have told other people, I think you'd enjoy this too. And it kind of went from there. And people are always very uh, nice about sharing what they see. And it's so much nicer when you make a discovery. It A, dis- a discovery is so much nicer when you share it with others. And that's what people are doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they are, uh, or they... It's it's a part of a discovery, right? They've mm-hmm. seen something, they found something, but they don't know what it is. Yeah. They don't know how, they don't know kind of how it fits into a larger picture. So it's been fascinating to kind of watch people sort of pose the question, mm-hmm. and then people come in, and sometimes there's agreement, and sometimes there's disagreement, and then there's secondary resources and, uh-huh. and other pictures they get ready. It's a very rich kind of learning environment it that is. just feels like such a 
it's frankly such a fresh way to interact in on the internet mm-hmm. right now in particular. Yeah. And, and it, it's very true. Everyone's willing to share what they know and everyone is, is happy to put in their own personal anecdotes. Mm-hmm. And that personal learning is a lot different from uh, you know, looking something up. I think that it's it's nice to be able to say, well, in my experience, this is what I saw. This is what I learned or sharing. Look, I saw that too. Look at my picture of what I just saw. And people love to share that because together we can share in the joy of these discoveries as it were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you have a favorite story that kind of illustrates what we love about this group? Well, I'll tell you, it, I think it's more, rather than a story in itself, I think it's my philosophy. Um, see, a long time ago, I, you know, it doesn't take a great genius to figure out that everything's kind of interconnected. Mm-hmm. I mean, the obvious things people know about are things like, um, you know, monarch butterflies and how the caterpillars need things in a milkweed family. So those are two interesting little connections, but there are connections all the way through there. And so I tend to see the natural world as being like a puzzle. It's a puzzle because there's all these pieces that I know go together, but I'll never be able to actually put them all together myself. It's lifelong learning, and that's the beauty of it. Um, but I do know several things about puzzles. And one is, uh, as the uh, one of the great American naturals, Aldo Leopold, once was credited with saying, the first rule of intelligent tinkering, don't lose any of the pieces. <laughs> and unfortunately, we're doing that at some point. We wouldn't be able to put these pieces together to make a puzzle. And another analogy to that would be, you can't take another piece from another puzzle where it fits perfectly well and try to stick it into an existing puzzle because when you do, other pieces don't fit as well. Right. And that happens when we bring in invasive species, plants and animals from other from other places that don't quite fit and upset the natural world. And that, frankly, is what happens when we intervene sometimes and break up some of these connections which were out there. And so that, I think, is the story that kind of shapes all the other stories for me. What is it? How does it fit? And how does it fit? affect everything else. Well, and that sort of anticipates another question I had, which was sort of, you know, why should urban dwellers, people from the capital area, get to know their natural surroundings? But you've sort of begun to answer that question, that it's important not to lose the pieces. Absolutely. Regardless of where we are. Absolutely. And where we are is fantastic. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize, I mean, we are in one of the the best places to be uh, someone who's interested in the natural world. Because uh, we're at the southern limit of the northern plants and animals. The northern limit of the southern plants and animals. We're close enough to the mountains that especially along the rivers, all sorts of things get, get washed in and carried in. But we're also close to the shore. And so we get all of that. Not to mention we're on a major migration route for, for many different kind of animals. And it turns out that the D.C. area is a wonderful place that if you learn to be observant and you're curious, there is always something there to discover. And it's just trying to find those things. Uh, and sometimes in everyday life, you might think, well, I'm in that very urban area. What can I see? But if you start looking at things carefully, it's just amazing all the stuff that's out there that uh, that's there to amaze us. Well, and you you have written in your blog about two initiatives that sort of get exactly mm-hmm. to that, the City Nature Challenge oh, yeah. and the Bio Blitz. And I'm forgetting now which it was where you 
tallied 762 observations of 362 different species representing some interesting biodiversity yeah, yeah. in the Glen Carlin Park. I mean, tell me more about those. That sounds yeah. very cool. So, um, so again, one of the things that would, it is easy to kind of sort out is um, here we are. We're supposedly trying to protect these natural resources. It's hard to know what you're protecting if you don't know what's out there. Yeah. And so we've gone to great extents to try to categorize, uh, do a biotic inventories of what's out there. But what better way of doing it as well as exposing the, uh, the natural world to people to show them that we have some neat stuff out there than to do these kinds of uh, citizen science projects. And in this particular case, the one you're talking about was the Arlington BioBlitz that we did, which was small to one park. But again, people were astounded by what neat things are out there and how great it is to share that knowledge. But also by collecting it, then uh, people like myself can say, okay, we have this. We didn't know we had it. How do we protect it? Mm. And also, if we do a lot of these, um, it, think of it as like a snapshot in time because it's just one visit to a park over a day-long period. Lots of eyes looking. But if you take enough snapshots, you make a movie. And so we can get a good picture of what's going out there. The City Nature Challenge is really fun because it's grown into a global affair. And last year, um, there were 98 different uh, cities from uh -huh. around the world that participated. And we were very lucky to have great participation. We were fifth in, in the world uh, for observations, uh, fourth for the number of people who participated. And we ended up, um, which is very respectful considering we were competing against some places like in Brazil where you can go out the door and see a hundred <laughs> different things. Um, eighth in the number of different kinds of diverse plants and animals. Huh. Yeah. And it's coming up again, uh, April 26th and 29th. I hope you guys join right. whatever. Mark your calendar. Yeah. yeah. Join your yeah. local team to make, to see what's out there. You know, a lot of this is about spotting things about yeah. visually, <laughs> but, but a lot of being curious about the natural world is also the sounds, right? Yeah. Do you have sounds that you particularly listen to? Yeah. Um, I do. I'll tell you, it, it, the way that we take in information is using all of our senses. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to fall back just on what we see. But if you start enjoying things, the tactile feel of leaves, the the, the smell of, 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 you know, a flower, these kinds of things also help. But sounds to me in particular are fascinating. And they've always been fascinating to people. So to me, a couple of even the most common sounds um, link me to, to, to some other types of things. So, for example, during the migration period, at first two weeks of May or so, the, the cacophony of all the different kinds of birds that are migrating through, that is always, to me, such an incredible sign of spring. Mm. Even if I'm not seeing them, uh, I can still hear that they're happening. happening. Just like in the late summer, the sounds of the insect choruses. Um, to me, that's just fantastic where... Uh, you know, you're sleeping, if you have your window open, you can hear all the insects out there. And to me, again, what a wonderful sound um, are still a connection with the outside world. So if we learn to use all our senses, but in particularly some of the ones we ignore, like listening, you'd be amazed at what you find is out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a guest on um, some time ago who's a, a sound enthusiast. And uh -huh. it, was, it was really about listening well to sound. Mm -hmm. And she said one of the things that, one of her, of her curiosity practices is that she'll go into a place and she'll just look for the smallest sound. Mm -hmm. What's the smallest sound she can hear? 
What would you describe as some of the small sounds you can hear from the natural world in yeah. the DMV? Well, we do a nice little thing when we used to take the kids out there, and that is as soon as we get outside, of course the kids are very, um, they really want to know what's out there. Um, but what we tell them to do is everyone be very, very quiet, close their eyes, and just listen. And oftentimes the very first things you, you find are, um, you know, again, birds singing, uh, the, the, the shadow, you know, the little ruffle of leaves. And you may not see them, but you know that it's out there and you know, mm -hmm. you know you're not alone. To me, I think those little sounds, again, to me are seasonal. Yeah. So again, in the, in the late summer, it's the different insects that are out there. And once you get to know them, you're like, oh, wow, okay. And in the springtime would be the birds. Those sounds to me are very critical. There's a very neat story that's uh, that's once said about a, um, a, 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 I believe that the gentleman was, was a Navajo medicine man. And he actually was traveling with uh, one of his city partners and visiting him in the city. And it was so funny that um, he kept noticing things. And there was so much noise that, um, that the, the other person was just amazed at what this person was listening to. And he goes, how can you possibly hear that? And he goes, well, can you hear that right there? And there was cars going by and people talking. He goes, what are you talking about? Listen, can you hear that right there? And he's like, I don't know what you're listening to. He goes, just listen. And he points down and just a little tuft of grass growing in the sidewalk was a cricket calling. Uh. And the, um, you know, the other guy was like amazed. How can you possibly hear that? <laughs> and it said, well, you know what? Let me show you something. And he took out a quarter and he flipped it. And when it hit the ground, ding, ding, um, several people walking by actually turned their heads. And he goes, would you notice that? And he said, well, what? He says, that quarter hitting the ground was no louder than that cricket. But it it was what people chose to listen to. Mm. And it's basically opening your ears and eyes and choosing to listen to something different that can help you make these kinds of discoveries. So I think some of those small sounds are not so small once we start paying attention. Oh, yeah. well, that was a great observation. I think yeah. that's really true. And, and I think... You know, years ago, I heard a presentation by someone who was looking to do kind of an encyclopedia of all species. Mm. And part of his argument was that it was important for us to know the names of these things because we would, we would treat them differently if we knew their names. We would respect them by knowing mm. their names. And that, that made a really profound impact on me to sort of think about, well, do I know the names mm -hmm. of the species around me? And then in knowing their names, I start to know other things about them as well, what distinguishes them, the sounds that they make. I start to listen for them, look for them, notice them. Mm -hmm. We all have that experience with like a new vocabulary word, but you've introduced it also as a new sound that we suddenly realize, oh, I hear that yeah. when I didn't hear it before. Exactly. And, and, you know, the names of plants and animals, it's always very interesting to find out why something got a name because especially if you're going out there and you go and you're just finding things it can be harder to list all of the different things that you found but if you know okay this is its name now i have a connection to it how it got its name now there's a story and uh, people don't remember a string of facts but they remember stories and what we need to do is have stories tied in with these things and one of the nice things about being curious is uh, they can be part of our own personal stories and be it's some of my favorite in, encounters um, happen to be um, tied in with with the natural world because I spent a lot of time out there but also specific little things that by themselves may not have been super fantastic but because I shared them with other people mm -hmm. they became our story 
and then it becomes a little bit more significant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what do you wish that people were curious about in the natural world? Well, I think, again, people think that just because, for example, in Arlington, we are in such an urban type of setting that there's not a lot out there. And I encourage people to start paying attention. Go, you know, go to someplace or uh, there's a lot of different ways that people do this. Sometimes you'll pick like there's a whole book, I think, even about somebody who sat in one place every day throughout a year and he noticed everything that happened there. Mm. But if you go to a place and just uh, look for the small things, you'd be amazed at what's at what's out there your favorite tree, uh, whatever place you go to meditate, uh, something like that. And when you're there, uh, look around for what you have, but also close your eyes, listen to what's out there. And I think you'd be amazed that once you open up your eyes, you'll find them. And then look for signs and clues. Um, most animals are nervous about us, but they leave signs behind, the cracked nuts that a squirrel ate, um, the tracks that an animal went by, uh, the leaves that are eaten in a certain pattern on a tree that tells you somebody was there even if you don't see them there. Uh And once you start looking for these signs, you can become the nature detective, as it were, (laughs) to find out what's happened. And I think that um, you'd be very pleasantly surprised at how much is going on in even a very urban place. You know, quite some time ago, I interviewed um, a detective from from the Arlington County Police, and, and she made the comment that, Arlington at night is really different than mm. Arlington at the day. And I'm thinking that's really true from a natural perspective, isn't it? I mean, I, I know that there are raccoons that are wandering around my house and a fox that wanders around my house at night. I don't see them during the day, yeah. but I see evidence of them. Occasionally I'll see them, but mm. but it's a much more wild place than we actually appreciate, isn't it? Yeah, we are. In a, and again, we, we sit on a major migration pattern. So there are many people who, you know, and I used to love it when I was at the Nature Center. I remember very early in the morning, the sun would be just coming out, and for whatever reason, if I got there early to the park, I'd see people in their business clothes, their ties sometimes tucked behind them, and they're out there in the parking lot with their binoculars just to go bird watching for mm-hmm. just an hour before going to work. And they're tying, it's their connection, it's their meditation, it's their escape. But they took a time out of their day, a busy work day no less, to make a pit stop because this was gonna happen very quickly. They, these birds were moving through, and they didn't want to miss this this little moment in time. And uh, I think that's pretty important because there's lots of neat things out there, and we're always constantly amazed at the amount of different kinds, the diversity that's out there. Um, many of it, which though you need to be curious about to actually notice. <laughs> yeah. Yes, very well put. Very mm. well put. So, where can people learn more if they, if now you've piqued their curiosity? Yeah. Where can they go? Well, of course, you know, you can always check out the Capital Naturalist, but <laughs> but we have some fantastic resources. One uh, big one, of course, is and no matter where you are, there's, there's some nature centers. And here in Arlington, we have three, of course, that we can choose to check out. And many of them, much as I think you were saying with your children, you get an opportunity to uh, check out some of the different programs geared towards specific plants and animals. And those are wonderful learning experiences. There's some wonderful seasonal events. Um, like I already mentioned, some of these nature challenges and some of the different special events that go on and take place. And just taking a walk into our neighborhood parks, it just uh, it, as an escape from the, the daily grind, whatever it is. But that little bit of time can be very good for our own stress levels. It can be very good. But also it can be um, a wonderful discovery experiences because we have a lot going on. And a simple visit to one of our you know, numerous parks can be an eye-opening experience. And if you choose to go to a different park each time, 
yeah, you know, there you go. You can uh, you you can add that as an experience too, because each place has something different to it and has its own story. So just spend some time outdoors and look for the little things. And I think people would be very pleasantly surprised that there is a lot out there that's just underneath uh, the radar as it, as it was, but only until you discover it. And the neatest thing, when you discover it, don't think of it by itself. How is this connected to everything else? And then you start realizing this plant, which I like because it's a beautiful flower, I noticed it. Now look at the insects on it. And then what are feeding on those insects and what happens through, during the different seasons there. So one thing is connected to everything else and that's the beauty of it. You just leads to more and more discoveries. Uh, so one little thing, the first step is the first step. After that, it becomes a journey. Nice, nice. Well, you have time in your journey to stop in my little big jar of wannabe analogies. Oh yes, all right. Please. Okay. Now I'm very curious. Oh, oh good, good, good all answer. Right. <laughs> all right, so reach in, take one. Okay. I'll take one for myself and all one right. for the audience, and we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on the slip of paper. Okay. So you can go first, or you can. I'll uh, let you go. Let me go. Okay. 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 All right. Well, let me see. What do I have? Um, Somersault. How mm. is curiosity like somersaults? Mm. Uh, well, with a somersault, you sort of throw yourself forward and you kind of you abandon the familiarity of being upright and you know you kind of defy gravity a little bit. And it's a you have to commit to it, otherwise it doesn't work. And I think curiosity is the same way. You sort of throw yourself into it and you you defy sort of the upright position that we typically assume and. And and like like somersaults, curiosity is kind of joyful and playful, and and we do more of it as kids than we do as adults, and that shouldn't be the way. So, that's what I'll say about curiosity and somersaults. What do you have? Well, I have toast. Toast. Uh-huh. And um, again, I think as far as curiosity, I think it's something as simple as we have something that we know what it is, but then we try to prepare it in a certain way, and it doesn't always work out the way we want it. But we're happy to experience it uh, whichever way it comes out. And we'll take our toast and we'll prepare it this way. We'll try this. We'll try that. But it's a great way uh, for us to take something that might be very, you know, we know what it is. But it's always slightly different. And for those of us who have toast in the morning, it's a great way to start the day. Something <laughs> curious and something to uh, to kind of start our journey down the road. Um, so, there you go. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love it. Okay. And audience, yours is candy cane. Mm-hmm. How is curiosity like a candy cane? Let us know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Cane. Well, Alonzo, thank you so much for this. What fun. Thank you for the opportunity. And I got out of the office. How great was that? <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can catch all my previous shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to Be Curious, or on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at Choose Number 2, Letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your candy cane analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Alonzo Abogadis. You can find links to Capital Naturalist and all its various forms on my Facebook page. Take a page from his book. Get outside and just look around. It's a wonderful world out there. Our theme and other music is by Sean Ballack. Thanks, too, to Blue Dot Sessions for Migration's Gullwing Sailor. 
And finally, special thanks to all of you who supported Arlington Independent Media in our winter fund drive. We couldn't keep bringing you great, local, and totally independent content without your support. And if the drive got by you and you didn't donate, you can do it anytime online at WERA.FM. And thank you. I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.